0: Hi.
1: Hi. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. How are you?
0: Hello. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Are you? Why? Yeah.
0: Because I've always wanted to do this with you. I was actually talking to a couple of friends of mine today about this moment. And why I feel like this conversation is going to be so, like, I think different from a lot of the other kinds of conversations I have through mediums like this, which is like, you know, one, I think we have had so many good conversations together over the years. And um, you just have a really nice way of making things a departure and, and, and your family, like it's, I've, right? I've always wanted to like, you know, talk about, just, just converse with you in this way. Um, and I know we've been kind of manifesting it for a really long time. And so. Girl, that's
1: but, not manifesting it. We've been procrastinating. It. <laughs> Don't make it sound better than it is, bitch. Come on, though. (laughs) It's the slowest manifestation ever.
0: (laughs) But some manifestations can be a slow burn. I mean,
1: I'm not going to say you're not wrong, but let's just (laughs) call it what it
0: is. (laughs) We procrastinated it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I procrastinated this podcast into existence, bitch.
0: That is right.
1: All right, so I want to. You said that we have known each other for a long time. Yeah. We have known each other for a long time. I mean, I just talked to Wenner, and Wenner said that we've known each other for 22 years. Is it possible that we also have known each other for 22 years? Because you and I met pretty much on the heels of me meeting Wenner and Omar, no?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's been at minimum 20 years. Crazy town. Because I I knew you, I met you as a friend of winners, and I met winner Omar, Freddie, Albert. Um, <gasps> Stop. <laughs> okay.
1: What are you doing? Why are you <laughs> saying names?
0: I met you. I, no, I met that whole crew um, at Madonna night, at Circuit. <laughs> oh my god. Shortly after my twenty-first birthday.
1: Oh my god!
0: And that is where every and I remember like um, it was through my friend Giovanni. I don't know. Did you know Gio? Orte? Girl,
1: yeah. so, <laughs> You're just bringing it all back. Are you I'm, I'm sweaty.
0: I'm, <laughs> right? Can you can you smell the era? Ooh. <laughs> but that was so. Um, Gio, uh, I knew when I was a student at UIC. And I had just turned 21 and he was like, I want to go to a gay club. And I was like, all right, let's go. And, and that was it. And I just remember (laughs) that's
1: when you turn into a gay man, bitch.
0: (laughs) Yes. Um, But that was, I just remember we had us having like the best night. So we started at circuit and then we went to Berlin and then after that, like all like, 20 of us, I don't remember how many people there were, but we all piled into Omar's car and he drove us all home.
1: Omar had a car?
0: He had a car, but he didn't have a license.
1: <laughs> <Girl>. <laughs> Chicago in the 90s, here oh we go. Oh my God,
0: it, those were the best days. Those I'm were telling you. The best days. And so I met you shortly after that. Um, and we were all part of that Berlin clique that um and 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 parties and you know and 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 all of that but i think where our friendship really solidified um was nowhere near a nightclub it was in vermont yep and so which um i think is also just kind of an awesome testament to um our own evolution but also The things that still bind us, um, and the things that, um, that we love about each other.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things about the friendships that we had in Chicago is that we were all young and we were all in extremely vulnerable places and we were all, um, trying to figure ourselves out, trying to figure out who to be, how to be, Mm -hmm. and the friendships that we have with each other, uh, we were sharpening our social skills. And so a lot of us got cut. Mm. A lot of us cut each other.
0: Mm. Yes.
1: So there is a weird sort of threshold. I mean, all those different names that you said, I have fondness in my heart for all of them. But there's only really a few that have managed to survive that process of, you know, trying to find your way to an adult and to remain connected to people. So it's meaningful that we did cut each other. We did sharpen Uh, Mm -hmm. our our social skills on each other and Mm -hmm. yet we manage to circle back and remain friends and that's rare and it's also so important especially right now
0: yeah absolutely absolutely
1: So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is about the fact that as long as I've known you, you have been very focused on creative output and that you have worked across a variety of mediums, um, a number of storytelling platforms and over the year you've remained over the years you've remained committed to creative output you haven't been distracted by any of the other turmoil or ever, any of the other events in your life and that includes having kids that includes getting jobs that includes getting married that includes losing jobs that includes everything and you still yeah. managed to keep your uh, eyes directed towards that very specific goal of creating things mm. tell me why that is why do you feel like you've maintained that as a sort of pole star for so much of your life, even though your life has changed so much. I mean, you've been everywhere. You've tried so many things. Why have you f- maintained your focus on that?
0: Because it is my lifeline. I think without it, I don't have any of the other things. Um, you know, um, I come from a... Um I come from a long line of storytellers. My grandmother was a storyteller and a poet, self-published poet. Um as a and sh- her generation was that first generation of Puerto Ricans that first came to this country. So she was very much working class factory worker Grade school education, all of those things, and um, wrote prolifically. Like, I saw her, she modeled what living a creative life was, even if you were not necessarily relegated or identified as a creative. And I mean, this was her in her 60s and 70s, and she would write things out on legal pads. And I. Do you still we, have any of that stuff, Carla? I do.
1: What okay, go ahead. I I want to go back to that, but that's crazy.
0: It is, um, when I touch it, it is. I mean, I very much um, am very spiritually connected to her. I was one of the grandchildren that spent probably the most time with her, and so that was an imprint in mind since you know, since I can remember. And she died before she could see her autobiography in bookstores. And I wrote my first play uh, at 15 years old, which was about a, um, a high school age girl um, trying to come to terms with the death of her brother. And so that for me was very much a cathartic way of me managing and dealing with um, my feelings of grief over my grandmother. And so, um, you know, that never left me. And, um, even, and, and, you know, I've, I've written more plays. I've gone to film school. I've, you know, I, I've, I've, you know, gone into programs. I have been, I've performed and I've done all of those things, but like, um, but it is um, creativity and the, art, the 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 act of making, you know, put what I'm going through into something that isn't directly me necessarily. You know, um, it can both be things that I have written personally, but also it can be, you know, just like the situation. What could it have looked like if it had a different outcome? And I can write about that. You know, um, it has been a tool for me to get through things when I often had nobody else to work those things out with. You know, um, it has been my therapy. It has been my way of excavating and getting things out that should no longer be living in my body. Yeah.
1: And in a way, part of what I'm hearing you say that I relate to is the idea that there's a certain problem-solving aspect to it. Yeah. That by writing these things out, by considering alternative consequences or alternative scenarios or just writing, even being able to displace one's own emotions into another character Mm -hmm. and see them more objectively, you begin to process your way into a different emotional space.
0: Yes. Yes. And, you know, it was one of the only spaces where very on very early on in my life I felt like I was good at something and where I was you know I I was I was an awkward kid I was not the greatest student you know I was one of those students that if the subject bored me I was sure to fail it because it just I, I like i physically and like on a frequency level it was just not going to hit me even if i needed to pass it to graduate <laughs> you know like,
1: you're like i'm manifesting this very slowly <laughs> i'm manifesting a passing grade but okay. it's on a slow burn
0: okay slow <laughs> slow burn but yeah it you know and it um and and i was not necessarily encouraged like everyone was like, "Oh, you write? That's cute." But then you got to find a real job, you know. And and I was never um, encouraged to take this creativity and 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 fully pursue it in the way that um, that I probably wanted to very very early on. So they were like, um, so my family was very much like. You know, and and rightfully so, because I mean, the generation before me grew up in poverty, and so they were very much like: you need a practical job, you need to be able to pay your bills, you need to be able to retire, and do all of these kind of traditional things that we think about in terms of what it means to 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 live safely, right? Right and well that's also your grandmother was a
1: reference in that as well in that her creativity was for her it wasn't about making money it wasn't about sort of the interface between her internal world and the the exterior world mm-hmm. so if that's also what your family saw not to deval not that they devalued her creative output but it was in a very specific place in her no. life
0: yeah and so but what's really interesting is that <clears throat> talk about a slow burn I am now in a place in my life where every where creativity is at the center of all of the things (laughs) you know running a theater company um you know you know being a commissioned writer uh, well
1: I wanted to ask about that that's actually kind of where my next uh set of questions is gonna go because that exact interface which I think a lot of people who are creative or a lot of people who find themselves in the arts they come up to the threshold of the interface between what you want to do as an artist and what the world is willing to pay you to do as an artist yeah and that's a really tough one
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that's and and in the spite of that i mean in spite of that you have maintained you haven't tried to separate them out as much you have tried to make creativity and the arts your career mm-hmm. in a number of ways so that's kind of the that's kind of what i'm wondering about is what is that interface like knowing what your internal world is and knowing how important it is to you as an individual and also sort of uh, within your lineage and heritage how does it feel trying to bring creativity and that creative output into that external space where you do have to think about money and people aren't going to see the value that you place on your creativity in the same terms that you do. How do you navigate that area?
0: Mm. That's a great question. Um, I think um, part of, and, and, and this is me like in the space that I'm in now. Cause like for many years, I, I, I led what I like to call a double life where, you know, I, where I had day jobs that were all, you know, in like social service agencies, working with young people and, um, fundraising, leadership, and all of those things, and they've all kind of had some vein of creativity within them, or I have always attempted to parlay my creativity into the work for things to be successful, you know, but now, um, and and those had varied outcomes. Um, It was often me trying to just kind of put a circle and a square peg and so uh, but other times it was like oh wow you know this is a different way of thinking about things this is a different way of doing things so it had mixed reception throughout my career over the years that um, in places that were not artistically focused but Mm -hmm. now that my I am fully kind of in a space where you know as an ED of a uh, free street, like the thing that I have to make sure of, and the thing that I am continuously recalibrating within myself is like, it's, it is, it is, yes, I'm here to talk to you, you know, funder, A, B, or C. And yes, I'm going to talk to you about the numbers. and I'm going to talk to you about our budget. And I'm going to talk to you about, Why, you know, um, you know, we need to diversify our revenue. And I can speak all of those things because I've worked in organizations for a long time. But at the center of it, it is my um, it hinges on my ability to tell the story about the work and the creative work and what that creative work does for our communities, for the young people, for anybody who touches um, our work. Um and um and also if I'm a teaching artist, like over the summer, I I taught a class, a storytelling class for dreamers, for DACA recipients and um undocumented college students. Mm. And um for many of them, this was their first time telling their story. And um, you know, and and that was incredibly powerful, and so um, you know I am a firm believer you know I storytelling is my like in all of the, the 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 veins of creativity, for me, my love I have a deep love for story, and we all have one. And whether it's an organizational story, whether it is and whether it is a personal narrative and whether it is a fictional story that you're telling that you're where, where you're trying to work out the, you know, the various scenarios of your life and, and create parallel universes that, you know, may not happen in, you know, a January day in Chicago, but might happen in space. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In the
1: middle of a pandemic, even. Who knows? Anything's possible. You
0: know? Uh, (laughs) But it is, um, you know, I have maintained a lifelong fidelity to story and to storytelling because the more you understand the story of a person or a people or an experience, the more you empathize with them, the more you see the parallels, the more you can gain understanding, um, the more you might be able to forgive. And, um, you know, that is a thing that um, I utilize in everything that I do now um, and have always really done. Um, And so for me, that is um, how... I don't lose sight of, of the art, even if I'm in a space where I have to put on a hat that, you know, fa- requires me to make asks or advocate to facilitate the art making for others.
1: We've all been in this quarantine. Mm-hmm. We have all been watching way more media than we probably ever have before. And we've also been watching it in a shared way. Yeah. You know, previously as a culture, maybe a group of people watched a movie, but yeah. it didn't become a thing. It wasn't as important. It wasn't a shared, you know, it wasn't part of the, the public commons.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Tiger King was part of the public commons. You know what I'm talking about? Um, the Gambit, the Queen's Gambit. That's part of the yeah. public commons. Those are spaces in which we have discussions that we feel connected to other people through this quarantine But one of the things that's also been revealed to me as I've been scrolling through all the movies that are available on Netflix and all the movies available on all the streaming services is just how rare it is to encounter a story that hits a different note and hits a different way than all the other stories that we have been told over and over and over and over again. And stories that the reality of our experience contradicts, in other words – The number of stories that exist in the culture that are about, hey, you know, be yourself. That's the most important thing. Follow Mm -hmm. your bliss. And that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Do what you know to be true and right. And that is the most important thing. And in moments like this, in this historical moment, those lessons can feel extremely flimsy.
0: Mm -hmm. Because life is messy. And so very few stories, you know, you know get into the mess and the muck of 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 life. And so, you know, we in tragedy, you know, I mean I think many of us can probably relate to this because like I feel like for the last year we have been In a constant state of mourning, whether that is humans that we have lost throughout this year. I've lost a few people, my husband lost his father, you know, but also like um, mourning what could have been of 2020, which is a thing that I had to deal with a lot. But, you know, even though that has a, has its current, and even though those moments have happened, um, you know, it is in those moments that there are also some really funny things that happen or, you know, that, 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 you know, they're either we got to laugh to keep from crying moments or they are just, you know, life is like that life is. And, and people, you know, like my uncle, um, who I adore, um, He does not like, I had recommended a movie to him and I don't remember what the film was, but it was definitely one of those movies that, um, that, um, that had some trauma in it and that had some, some, some messiness of humanity in it. And he was like, I just want to watch Westerns. You know, I just want to watch comedies. I just, I don't, you know, he's like, I've already been through this, so I don't want to watch this thing because, you know, that's just not my, my jam. And, and I recognize that, but I think, you know, for the folks that, you know, that, that, that don't take these other journeys, I think that there is a missed opportunity to be affirmed, to, um, to have a moment of catharsis, to um, and 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 to maybe again, like think about a different way of looking at a particular situation.
1: When Winter uh, and I were talking about legendary, because we're doing mm-hmm. an episode by yeah. episode recap. Hello, um, he was talking about representation and sort of the importance of representation and, and the role it played in his life, and the way he described it was to see beautiful black faces gave me something to look forward to. It mm. gave me something to grow into and to mm. think about what my life might look like.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. So yes.
1: All stories do that to some degree. Yeah. They create space for you to imagine yourself in that situation. And mm-hmm. so, in when I think about the culture right now, and I think about what I see popping up on all the movies that are recommended to me, is mm-hmm. sort of the primacy of violence as the solution, of physical confrontation as a solution. Mm. There's not a lot of stories in which the solution comes with greater complexity. And in, when there are uh, examples of that, for example, whatever the second, whatever the name of the second. Um, movie in the most recent Star Wars trilogy. Mm. You know the one?
0: The yeah. Carrie Fisher uh, yes. died. The, yes.
1: And that is not, you know, when, when, when that came out,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that was panned. People hated it. And I watched it again recently and I was like, the reason why people, part of the reason why I think people hated it was because the problem was not solved with physical violence.
0: Mm-hmm. And it wasn't
1: solved by breaking the rules and being um, a maverick.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so in that space, people were uncomfortable because we have been, the only space that we have been occupying in terms of solving problems is the space of physical violence. Mm. So that's not a very complicated, so so I guess part of what I'm imagining here, or part of my thesis when I think about it is, we need to have more stories. We need to have a more varied set of stories because the kinds of problems that we're going to be facing as we move into the future are obviously extremely complicated. And mm-hmm. if we don't have a broad enough space to conceive of different possibilities, of different resolutions, mm-hmm. other than violence and physical confrontation, then mm-hmm. we're going to be incredibly ill-prepared to deal with those things. We, we, it's a crisis of imagination.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah and this is not i think the thing that i've been meditating a lot on too recently has been that um as much as as trying as this last year has been and 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 all of the challenges that have come with it um part of the blessing of this time has been um um the, this notion of reimagining, and, and I'll expand on that a little bit. So, um, a, a couple months ago, um, we produced um, a, a show uh, with uh, Quenna Barrett, her, and her play was Rewriting the Declaration.
1: I participated, it was yes, awesome. You did. Thank you very yeah. much for your efforts, thank you for your service. <laughs>
0: But, you know, Quena's show really stayed with me, Um, this notion of reimagining, right? And I I think about, and and I was actually just having this conversation earlier today, was like, how can we take creative practices, you know, and integrate them? How are we thinking creatively about how we work? how are we cre- thinking creatively about, um, you know, about every aspect of life and, and you know, but, but, you know, the, the space that I've been thinking a lot about um, this in has been in the workspace, in advocacy spaces, in municipal spaces, in um, decision-making spaces, mm-hmm. um, as, you know, there are folks with a lot of power, And, um, and, and, and are in seats, um, where they're going to make decisions that deeply affect entire populations. But my fear is that, you know, there, there are, that not all of these folks, that a lot, that most of these folks, I would say, are still employing kind of pre-COVID strategies to solve brand new problems or, you know, um, or, or, you know, or to chart courses that are based on kind of ideas and situations and scenarios that I don't think will ever get back to where yeah. they were. No,
1: I, I agree with you. I think it is very um, nostalgic. That's the kindest way of looking at it, it is a looking back at, I want that back, as opposed to looking forward to an unknowable future, right, and in its most uh, confronting manifestation, it is people who refuse to wear masks it is people who mm-hmm. refuse to distance it's people who refuse to even participate in a future that is not what they had imagined right they 're always going to be looking over their shoulder. The other alternative, however, is extremely more uh, extremely complex because you have to envision something without knowing what it actually is going to be like and still find the individual and political will to move forwards to an uncertain future, as opposed to looking backwards at a concretized and glorified past.
0: Exactly. So my thesis is that you should bring artists into these spaces in ways that have probably rarely, if ever, been employed. And and I, I you know and you know at at, at Free Street we have devised theater, and what devised theater is is just we never put on a play proper, unless it's um, like Quena's show, which was something that she brought in through um, our in-house program where we produce work by um, by primarily artists of color who haven't been able to get or, you know, have not necessarily found an artistic home to be able to produce their work. But our work is largely devised, which means that we bring people together and say, hey, what issue, what's living in you? And then we engage in a process where we go to communities across the city and talk about this particular issue. We hear their stories, and it is through that the the ensemble builds this play. And so imagine taking a devised theater approach Hmm. to um, figuring out how a city, you know, gets through and establishes the systems and the supports and um, the resources needed to truly lift a city out of... um, all of the, 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 the economic, um, health, social, all of those other impacts that, that, that our, our folks have been going through. It
1: is fascinating to think about because in that context, the arts and creativity becomes a sandbox by which you can start to envision what that future might look like. The, exactly. the example would be sort of the Star Trek, right? The Star Trek analogy that by envisioning that future as crazy as it seems right at the time that Star Trek was created, that diverse cast coming together gave us something to move forward to as opposed Mm -hmm. to something that is just strictly violence and confrontation, which is kind of where we are right now. I feel that's what we are. That's the only answer we've been given. I think that's a fascinating idea.
0: Yeah. And um, you know, uh, I, I think a lot about, the show I may destroy you. It's, it's been top of mind recently, particularly because of the, I
1: love her. Mm. She's amazing.
0: Yes. But that show, uh, you know, is one of the shows that I will say, um, dealt with the nuances of being a sexual assault survivor in, um, in a really affirming way and in, in a way that I had not seen it before Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, we have seen shows about folks that have survived sexual violence. And some of those outcomes are either very like, you know, um, I won the court battle or, um, or there is this track of revenge and violence. Mm Or there, you know, there is a very specific track. And I I just, I remember in this show, there is how it went. And then there is this moment where, you know, she's putting everything together and she realizes her, you know, who her attacker is and is going through all of the scenarios in her mind about how interfacing with this person could go. And then it ends in a particular way, and I'm not going to spoil it or anything for folks who haven't seen it, but... You know, that was such a lovely portrayal of what um, what can go on through your mind. Um,
1: it's interesting, but- Carla, because the way that you talked about your uncle and his uh, his lack of desire to engage with sort of more difficult material, right, and just mm-hmm. wanted to watch Westerns. That's kind of how I have approached um, that show is that I love her. I loved her in Bubblegum. Mm -hmm. I think she's incredibly talented. I think she's a genius. I think she's beautiful. I think she's Mm -hmm. daring. Mm
0: -hmm. But when
1: I started to know more about what the intention of that show was and is, it made me really nervous to watch it. And I haven't watched it because I didn't. Because it was confronting to me for some reason. Yeah. So you've you've put the goad to me to to engage with it more. It's a challenge yeah. I will accept.
0: And I am somebody that um, you know I I am a survivor, and so you know and but I also tend to be somebody that um, has always looked to films um, and stories to um, that are based either um, literally or tangentially on my own experience to help me understand things more. That was the way that I, you know, when I didn't have a therapist, like that was the way that I went through things. Mm -hmm. Like I have a father, my bio dad, um, he was a Vietnam veteran and he was, uh, he is a man who, um, abandoned me, abandoned his responsibilities as a father. And so I became very obsessed with Vietnam war films hmm. because, you know, platoon, I wrote papers on them. Um, the, uh, the Oliver Stone films, um, uh, apocalypse now. Hmm. Um, and, uh, because, you know, Jacob's ladder, Ooh. these movies all <laughs> dealt with, you know, kind of how war fucks with your head. Yeah. And I, I had always been trying to find the reason why I was the one, and, and my, I have two older half-brothers, why we were the ones that were discarded. And my only thought was, well, maybe it's the war. Hmm. And, and let me watch these movies to try to figure that out and maybe identify and piece things together. I'll never know the reasons why. But that was kind of. I have always been that person that like goes headfirst into these films that um, that that have themes that that I um, that again you know either very very much so kind of on the nose or tangentially um, speak to my experience in some way. Um, yeah.
1: I think we have heard people talk a lot about the importance of individuals sharing that story and sort of the therapeutic uh, tool that that is for each of us individually. Mm -hmm. Creativity as a form of self-expression, as a form of identifying yourself as a form of creating space for yourself. But I think one of the things that is not necessarily addressed with equal time is not only how does it benefit you as an artist to create, but how does it benefit society at large to have creators front and center? And Mm. you started to touch on that. You started to talk about it in terms of compassion, being able to sympathize. You've talked about it in terms of being able to forgive. All of those things are such buzzwords and incredibly difficult emotional spaces to hold at this moment in history. Mm. It is hard to have compassion for people who you look at and you think wear your fucking mask, like a real human being
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or hard to forgive people who willfully refuse to see you as equal. Yeah. So talk to me about that aspect of it. You've seen lots of examples of people finding their own voice and, seeing creativity be useful um, for themselves as individuals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you have any stories to talk about where you've seen how being involved in storytelling, listening to other people's stories has affected and impacted the exterior world and been as useful to the people listening as it has been to the people telling.
0: Hmm. Wow. Like in my own, in my own life.
1: I mean, I think ultimately we can't know for sure how it affects anybody, but I think there is an aspiration that you do have an impact on yeah. another person's life by telling a story. Yes. There's the power in the telling of the story, but it's not just in the silence of no audience the the magic of storytelling is in that shared space where yeah. you and the listener are in the same space you're sh- you're asking for trust you're asking for vulnerability on both fronts yes so i mean that's what i'm interested in right now what? is that is the why of it right because you have to spend a fair amount of your career convincing people that storytelling, that creativity is important enough for them to give up some money too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I've seen this a lot in performance. Um, You know, I, I I tell this story uh, about um, called condom world, which is a story about um, this time that I took my mom to, to, to buy a vibrator and the. Hi, Carmen. <laughs> but. <laughs> I see you. But the story is not. Sorry, We're, Carla. Like- <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry, Mama. But, um, you know, yeah, like the spectacle of, of that story is certainly yes, I, I went and, and did this thing with my mom. But it was also um, a story about expectations, because um, it was also about me being in a particular place in my life where I was very transitional and not particularly landing anywhere that anybody thought in my family thought was going anywhere fruitful, right thinking about those um, that vision for what living a regular life is and and having income et cetera and you know and, and, and living in those traditional and safe ways. Um, But it was also a story about me being able to say, you know, I'm going to teach you this thing or I'm going to bring this into your life. And this is why I, you know, it was also about how I have empowered myself. And so I remember um, I've told that story. I told that story for like a whole year, like I told it for a whole year at multiple venues it's on a podcast like it's but I um there is the laughter that comes with it because I certainly one of my things is always bringing in the the mixing the comedy with the with the dramatic like the I, I am a dramedy girl and um but people saying man you know I um I feel that so much because this is how I experienced something similar in this way, or this is what happened when I bought my mom a vibrator. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no but it's, it's just it's not it's not even about that act that act triggered many things and it was the theme of that like the 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 notion of expectations um the notion of, of you know codependent relationships between single parents and their children and what some of those things bring up and so all of a sudden you know what what can be dubbed a vibrator story is actually really this complex story of people trying to, you know, seeing themselves within a complex relationship with their parents.
1: For sure. And also part of it is you finding your voice and claiming it and saying, I have something important to teach you. Yes, you have important things to teach me and your opinion matters, but here's something that I have to teach you and boy, oh boy, are you going to love it, mom.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you know, and, and how often, How often do we, and I mean, not that we had engaged in this deep heart to heart about pleasure, but, you know, how many times do we have conversations and and not necessarily with our parents, but even, you know, with our friends or with the people around us about centering pleasure in our lives, you know, and and what is the vehicle by which we talk about that? And so for some, it might be, did you hear this podcast? (laughs) You know? Or, you know, and, and so I think there's a lot of, I, I I find a lot of joy in that.
1: Well, let me just and interject here. Oh, sorry. Please continue your thought.
0: No, no, no. I was going to go on to something else, but so so. so jump Speaking jump in. of
1: sexual AIDS and pleasure. Yes. Uh, I got myself a fleshlight over the ah. quarantine and I was so moved by the fleshlight experience that I got one for my friend. Uh And he was so moved about his fleshlight experience that he got one for another mutual friend of ours. And so now the three of us are texting each other (laughs) tips and tricks and experiences with our various fleshlights. We are spit sisters with a fucking butt sleeve, Carla.
0: Yes. But that's amazing. That is amazing, because that's joy.
1: <laughs> yes, it is, girl.
0: <laughs> get up, get up, get up, get up, get up,
1: get oh. up.
0: All right, look, I didn't wake up that morning thinking today's the day I'm going to take my mom vibrator shopping. The first thing I heard was the sound of raindrops tapping the air conditioner in our vacation rental in Boquerón. And then I thought, shit. These trips home to Puerto Rico with my mom had become less frequent in my adulthood as we'd untangled from the codependency we had as a result of our single parent-only child relationship. This drifting apart also meant that I was becoming my own person, a person my mom didn't seem to like.
1: I want to take a little bit of a right turn here. Part of what we talked about when we first started to manifest
0: (laughs) this podcast
1: was to be sort of accountability buddies for each other.
0: Yeah.
1: I texted you about an hour before this conversation and said, can you come up with a creative assignment that you and I could participate in, not as... You know, not to make it precious, not to focus on the end result, but just something to keep us engaged in our creativity and in sort of this joint endeavor. So do you have anything, a simple exercise that you and I and our quote unquote listener mm-hmm. <laughs> might participate in?
0: Yeah. You know, I, um, I have a couple thoughts. I have a couple thoughts. Um, and, and not thinking about the end product in thinking about, um, the spirit of the times we're in, um, I I was in a conversation with a dear friend of mine, Tanuja, who, um, she does bullet journals. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but, um, you know, she's particularly worried. And I think, you know, I, I too share this worry about like when the story of, of our time right now, is, is, is out, you know, when, when COVID the movie comes out in 10 years or when it is in our history books or anything like that, what is the, what is the story that is going to be told and who's telling it? Right. And so she has been writing very prolifically in, in, in her own way, um, about, um, about this time and this experience, both in long form, but also in the sense of, she's got this bullet journal where she writes like four sentences on a particular day. Um, and, and it is something that she's working on for 10 years. Right? And not that we're going to be embarking on a 10-year project. Come on,
1: girl, I said simple. This,
0: slow burn, <laughs> slow burn. <laughs> it's a, but I, I wonder if there, and maybe... Maybe we can just land on it now. It's like, um, you know, and and the thing that I have, the thing I need most accountability with is the actual, just the practice itself and getting back into it um, in a way that, that, that becomes more fluid for me because I have been so steeped in keeping all of the other work streams alive, uh, uh, you know, professionally.
1: That's what I would like to do, honestly, is to just have something like that where you, where you can sort of do what you've been doing for all of the kids that you work with at free street that you were doing for the kids that you were working for in Vermont. When Mm -hmm. we reconnected, you know, this idea of loosening us up and letting the creativity and the stories start to come out yeah and i want to you know you've done that for so many people i would like to be the (laughs) beneficiary of that and whoever else wants to join in i think it'll be useful to them too
0: you know i wonder if we start with just jotting down the things that are living in us um and, and and I'll expand on that. That that is something. Um, it's something that I use a lot um, when I'm facilitating discussions. Like if you've heard this thing, if you've heard a, a lecture, what are the things that are living in you from that lecture? What are you taking away from it? What have you written down? And how are you using that as a as a as a jumping off point for something else? And I wonder if we just. I believe that there is a story living in all of us. And I wonder if we just begin um by um jotting down and it doesn't have to be the full story but maybe even some bullet points about stories that are living in us. Well, how about this
1: Carla? Let's just yeah. do that. The first thing let's do is for the time between now and the next conversation that you and I have Let Mm -hmm. us do exactly what you said and just write down the stories that we have inside of us. Yeah. And then we'll briefly talk about that next time and we'll figure out what to do if anything with it. But I'm just so curious to see what, what the end, not even what the end result is. I'm curious to see what this process is going to open up in us,
0: Mm. you
1: know, and that's for me at the heart of the whole creative endeavor is curiosity. What can happen here. Wherever you are, in whatever Mm -hmm. circumstance you find yourself, what can happen from here?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because I do think there's just, I think we live in our heads so much. I know I do. And, And I know that I often, like I'll let a story marinate in my brain for a really long time before I actually commit to paper. And I think part of it too is just giving yourself that deadline and often we don't necessarily always keep promises to ourselves so perhaps if we keep that promise to each other um you know it is and it, and it doesn't have to be every day but you know if every morning you write two or three things that are thoughts two or three things that are memories Two or three things that are happening in the culture, two or three things that are happening in the world, what's what are those things that are living in you, stirring you up? And when you when you pause and take a look at all of those things, it'll be interesting to see what themes emerge.
1: Oh, yeah, I like that.
0: What is repetitive? Um, what is deeply personal? you know, what are, that's where you can say, oh, you know, this is a thing that I am thinking a lot about, but this is not necessarily a story that I'm ready to work on. But this I could talk about a whole lot and I can write about this. Yeah. It's almost
1: like um, a very magpie approach, right? Go through your day and see what sparkly enough for you to pay attention to it and write it down. mm -hmm. And then when the week is up or when the, however long, to come and see what you have in your little hoard of treasures.
0: Yeah. And you know, and and it is the um the power of the check-in that is important. So having each other as accountability partners is important. I think in a creative space, it is truly important to have people who you trust. Um and that honor you as um and and care about you you know and to to help move that process along
1: yep that's one of the reasons why i'm doing this with you carla because of honestly as much expertise as you've built as an adult it has less to do with that and it has to do with the rawness of our youths and the way that we connected that yeah. I have seen you grow up. You have seen me grow up. We mm-hmm. have seen each other through some hard times. We have seen and celebrated each other through some truly wonderful times. Yeah. So the trust to, um, that we have to pl- place our stories in each other's presence, I think, is strong. I'm really looking forward to it. Yes. Let me ask yes. you this. If, the, if anybody wants to uh, be exposed to your creativity, to your output, to your stories, mm-hmm. do you have any sites or uh, social media tags you would like to direct them to?
0: So um, I, um, for me specifically, you can hear uh, some of my stories um, on the Second Story podcast. So that's the number two ND story. So I've got um some pieces on you know there.
1: And search uh, for Carla Rivera.
0: Estela Rivera. Okay. Yeah. Um in terms of um the the work that I do as um at Free Street, I mean I am not and as I'm the executive director there, I'm not the artistic director, but I am a champion of the work. I've been an artist with that work um over the years. And um, I encourage everybody to check out um, our check out freestreet dot um, because I am so vo- very very proud of the work that Free Street has been able to um, to accomplish, particularly during this year.
1: Um, and do you have anything you want to plug? I know you've talked about a show that you've done in the past with Free Street. Do you want? to um, either talk about where they might find out more information about that or any upcoming shows that you're wanting to plug.
0: Mm, Well, we do have, I mean, we have our annual fundraiser, which is happening on the 27th and it's called Radical Love. And that is um, not only a celebration of our work and the communities that we work with, um, but it will also be a lip sync battle. (laughs) Which I think will be really cool. And we're just asking folks to, you know, (laughs) people will be submitting their videos, 30 seconds um, lip syncing to the songs that have gotten them through. um, I'm participating in that too,
1: people. Get ready. Get ready for uh, the lip
0: sync of my life. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) And, you know, it really is. um, We have always kind of gone about our fundraisers in a very kind of chill way where it's just like everybody come enjoy there's certainly like you know silent auctions and things like that that are like you know always a part of a fundraiser but it really is our pillars are joy and justice and so we're always kind of honoring all of our our people in our work even if it's a fundraiser and um, everybody who is working with us are also folks that have been um, deeply impacted by, you know, the pandemic. So our vendors that are giving us things to do for the goodie bags and all of that, like we're always paying it forward. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is the thing that's super important. So if you want to go to tinyurl.com slash rad, R-A-D, love, L-O-V-E, Twenty Twenty One, all one word, lowercase. You can um, join us for an hour and just have some joy. You know, if if it is um, if it is uh, living in you to to also give to Free Street, we would also love that. And I will um, uh, put that uh, URL
1: in the show description.
0: Yes. And what else? Um, I you know I I have. Um, I'm, I'm sitting on news until it becomes official, but, you know, hopefully that'll be something I'll be really excited to share you know, during our next time together. Okay. I'm excited. Yes. It's a cliffhanger. I just gave you a cliffhanger.
1: (laughs) Girl, I appreciate it. Hey, and I also appreciate you spending this hour with me. It flew by. I loved talking to you.
0: Same. And, you know, I, um, I'm, I'm excited to talk more about this. I have to say like, just to take it back to our origins, um, you all, you know, all of the people that I named, you know, earlier in this conversation, I mean, you were all so inspirational to me and also, um, you know, I, Always wanted to feel just as cool and creative and as worthy to be in the circle as because you all were so. Everyone had just a creative vibe in them that was something that I always wanted to accomplish a a, a way of coolness, a way of badassery, a way of swag, a way of. You know, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to be me. Mm-hmm.
1: Drag basi- is basically drag.
0: All of that. All of that. Mm-hmm. And it has taken decades for me to get into that space for myself. And I think it's constant work. And, and, and you know, and and I, you know, I take all of you with me. And I take all of that energy with me in the work that I do. And so I'm really excited to see how this conversation also evolves.
1: It is a wonderful source of so much experience and wisdom and memory and creativity. Yes. The people that I'm talking to are my oldest friends, some of my dearest friends you and Wenner are the first people that I've spoken to, and you are both. We are all from that era together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a reason for that. And I think maybe if this continues on, the pattern of, of what that means to me will be made clear. But I keep dipping back into that experience. I keep dipping back into those years, those lessons, yes. those ideas. So I'm, I'm yeah. thrilled for this.
0: Yes, because there was, I mean, we were... You know, we were unedited and raw,
1: girl, baby. uncut, raw. untucked, bitch.
0: Un untucked, <laughs> wearing all the glitter, um. crying, screaming, and crying, crying and screaming, stealing all your shirts, stealing everybody. I stole everybody's clothes. I think, and just <laughs> also
1: two extra for words. Yeah, all of us. Just oh
0: my god, two extra, a
1: hundred, doing too much. <laughs>
0: And every time we show up at a restaurant together. Oh, it God, all so embarrassing, Carla. But- <laughs> 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 that's why we're good tippers. Ugh, that's why
1: we're doing this as a podcast and not <laughs> right? as a fucking dinner party. Okay. Uh, Listen, baby. I yes. love you. I'm so grateful you. to thank have you. had this conversation with you. And thank you for embarking on this endeavor with me.
0: Oh, I'm I'm excited. I love it, and I, I thank you for for including me. Send my love to Ramon and Frida, and
1: to yeah. little Coco. Welcome
0: yeah. to the family, bitch. Yeah, and 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 yes, they are they are phenomenal. They pee everywhere.
1: But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they That's right. Though. I forgot
0: that uh, Coco is a they. So. <laughs> Coco is also a wonderful <laughs> selfie accessory. <laughs> I
1: noticed, bitch. Your Instagram is uh, basically Coco. <laughs> but I appreciate the fact that you haven't yet started your own account for Coco. Keep it I that have. way for.
0: Oh, Carla, no. <laughs> shimmy, shimmy dot Coco Pup.
1: All right. Well, I'll include that. I'll include that <laughs> in the show link too.
0: Shimmy, shimmy Cocoa Pup. Yes. Right, it took me a baby. while to think of that name, though.
1: I love you. I love you, baby. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Yes.